Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. God, I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. You know, I was thinking about y'all today, and before we read our Bible confession, I haven't told you a Smith story in a while. I'm going to tell you two Smith stories back to back. One is about me in particular. Well, they're both about me, but one is, you, you, you'll get it when I, when I say it. One is a bit more like on the serious side, and then the other one is, is quite frankly, is just for humor. Let's start with the serious one first. Let me hold what's in that bag. I brought this. Open that bag for me, Greta. Come on. Open the bag. Open the bag. Open the bag. You know what? I can't even get my wife to open the bag for me. I can't believe that the woman I spent over 30 years of my life married to would not even unzip a bag. Okay, because she's going to say, well, I got watermelon in the bag. You see this? You, you see this? container of watermelon like you would get at a grocery store. They chunk it up for you and they stick it in this container, right? This Smith story is about watermelon. Kinda. Sorta. Let me explain. My wife likes to buy these and when she buys them, she usually brings them in because they're like buy one, get one. And so we have quite a bit of them. And what I do is when I need a snack trying to be healthy, I just untie the little thing and start popping them down. As you can see, they chunk them up pretty good. So usually you get about 10 good chunks in there. But if it was really just a piece of watermelon, it wouldn't really be that much. Right? Okay, so here we go. One day, zoop, last week, I opened it. Bow. And I popped the first one. Oh, my God, that's sweet. Whoo, Jesus, that's good. I pop another one. Whoo, that one good, too. And I'm just enjoying myself, enjoying myself. I look, and I only got two left in the thing. <laughs> but you know what? Go big or go home. So I, I, I get the next one. Bam. Just as sweet as the other eight or the other nine that I had. One more left. I take it, pop it, bite it. And it's the nastiest thing I ever tasted. <laughs> it's got that almost getting ready to turn in a bad way kind of watermelon kind of taste. And it spoiled all the good taste I had built up in all the previous morsels that I had. It completely destroyed, annihilated, ruined my experience. My continence changed. God said, that's the same way it can happen in our relationships. I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, he said dream with me, son. Imagine you have a husband and a wife. They wake up one morning, they're having a really good day. They decide that, hey, you know what, let's go for a walk. And they go for a walk hand in hand. She rests her head on his shoulder, and he looks at her, and they smile at each other. They decide to go to breakfast, and breakfast is delicious. Oh, my God, I don't know who made those pancakes back there today, but those pancakes are busting. <laughs> the day continues. They decide, you know what, let's go see a movie. And it happens to be a movie that both of them enjoy. Let's do lunch. Let's keep this thing going. Lunch is even more fantastic. The conversation is just rolling. As a matter of fact, it gets to the point to where the sun is getting ready to go down, and they just happen to be able to take a small trip to take a stroll on the beach during sunset. 
the day can't get any better. On the way home, as he drives, he's kind of glancing at her, and she's kind of glancing over at him. And, you know, they're both thinking the same thing, that, you know what, tonight's not done. They're anticipating what's going to happen when they get home because the sun has been shining all day, and now the moon's out, but they're not done with this thing that they got working here because it's just so precious. Every moment of the day has just been fantastic. They pull into the garage, go into the home. On their way to the bedroom, they can hardly wait. And the way their home is laid out, you know, that they have to go past the kitchen. And when they go past the kitchen, they're on the counter. Melted is one quart of luxury brand ice cream that's been sitting on the counter all day. She turns to him and said, I thought I told you to put that in the freezer. <laughs> He look at her and say, no, you didn't. <laughs> to which she says, yes, I did. <laughs> no matter how good the day was before, no matter how good all the other eight to nine morsels had been, that final element in an otherwise perfect day has ruined what could be the most climactic part of fabulous. And God says that happens in all relationships, not just husband and wife. Amen. You could be having a great day with your parent, yes. and one thing happens, not a major thing, but a minor thing, and it erases the good time that you've had. You could be having a good time with your child, and one thing, a minor thing, erases all the good time with your child. You could be having a good time with your friend, and one thing, one small thing, messes up all the good moments that you've previously had with your friend. God says, stop allowing that to happen. That's your first Smith story. Now, this second Smith story is just for the fun of it. It is absolutely for the fun of it, just for the laugh. We were visiting the home of a very lovely family. And the family was hosting an event. There, I just was meandering through, just admire, admiring all the arrangements they had made. The catered food, the way things were laid out. It was just, it was impressive. They also had there, which I happened to be standing by, a small help yourself open bar. The host, knowing that I'm a pastor, meanders up to me and says, Pastor, I don't drink no more. Then the host leans in and with a smile says, I also don't drink no less. <laughs> Pastor, I don't drink no more. I also don't drink no less. I say that's all right right there. Whoo, that thing had me in stitches. I don't drink no more. I also don't drink no less. Ah, family, let's say our Bible confession before we get into this word. Oh, my goodness. No matter what form your Bible takes. <laughs> oh, I don't drink no more and I don't drink no less. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. 
It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I don't drink no less. All right, here we go. What I'm going to show you right now is from the book of Exodus. This is something that we discussed last session. So you've seen this. But today we're going to take another view of it, a more in-depth view, or a more... A, a view from a different perspective. This is the Voice Bible, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, and verse 13 through 14. Notice we're just going to puddle jump through verses 7 through 10. You know, God is talking to Moses here, it's this, this whole burning bush experience. Verse 7, it says, God says, I have seen how my people in Egypt are being mistreated. I have come to rescue them, so go. I'm sending you back to Egypt as my messenger. Those are those excerpts. Now focus on verse 13 through 14 in total. Moses says, let's say I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your fathers have sent me to rescue you, and they reply, what is his name? What should I tell them then? God says, I am who I am. This is what you should tell the people of Israel. I am has sent me to rescue you. Now, family, I want you to say something with me because it's going to encapsulate where I want you to be in your mentals today. You see where it's highlighted in yellow there? We're going to read that highlighted, highlighted part as if it were one sentence. Ready? Let's go. I'm sending you back to rescue, right there. God says, I'm sending you back to rescue. When God gives Moses this assignment, he essentially makes Moses a door. And that analogy fits because God is the deliverer but he is going to work his deliverance plan through Moses. Amen. Ergo, Moses is God's door of deliverance. Yeah. Above that, God makes sure that Moses, is know, Moses knows that, Moses, you're not doing this thing alone. You're not running solo on this. We're doing this thing together. He gives him that tidbit just one verse earlier than 13. Verse 12, look at it. Also in the voice, God tells Moses, do not fear, Moses. I will be with you every step of the way. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who has sent you after you have led them out of Egypt you will return to this mountain and worship God. God says, you're not running solo with this thing. Boy, we're going to do this together. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Basically, God is saying, Moses, you and I have a commission, a mission that we're working together. That's interesting, especially since Jesus said in John 10, Hey, I am the door. And he gave you and I a commission. And that commission is to help him usher people into the kingdom of God. Something that's interesting, though, here, family. Let's read it. Go ahead. Give me, let's, let's read it first. Go, go, go to the next one. We've read this already, and I kind of toyed with whether or not we would read it again, but let's go ahead and read it because this is when Jesus gives us a co-mission, and it, it says co-mission in this version of the Bible, which is the voice. Talking to his disciples, it says 18 through verse 20, Matthew 28, Jesus came forward and addressed his beloved disciples. Jesus said, I am here speaking with all the authority of God who has commanded me to give you this co-mission. Mission by itself stands alone, but co means together, so there is something we're going to do together. 
Go and make disciples of all nations. Ceremonially wash them through baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then disciple them, form them in the practices and postures that I have taught you, and show them how to follow the commands I have laid down for you, and I will be with you day after day to the end of the age. Basically, Jesus says, you know what? You're going to be a door. So just like Moses, we're a door. But because Jesus in John says he is the door, it makes us the door to the door. And just like Moses as the door of God, our job as the door is to rescue other people. Unfortunately, like Moses, we have a tendency to resist being that door whenever God wants to send that door to a place we do not want to go. Our door can operate anywhere. You can usher someone into the body of Christ no matter where you're at. Walking in your neighborhood, you can usher somebody in. At the job, you can be a gateway. In the mall, you can be a gateway. It doesn't matter. That door always works. Whenever you're available to share somebody, share the gospel with somebody, they can enter in that door. But family, our doors are most effective when we allow God to position them in the place God wants them to be. In that sense, in that very raw, basic sense, the position of your door matters. We can go through a whole list of places that God can send your door. And in my door, when I say your door, I mean my door, our door, us's doors. God can send your, if we, if we had a whiteboard and we go to writing stuff down, God can send you to Texas, yep, check. He can send you to China, yep, check. He can send you to Indiana, yep, check. He can send you to India, yep, check. He can send you to Philippines, yep, check. He can send you, he can send you everywhere. We can list, but if we just look at it on a macro level, just pan back and take the most general sense. God can send your door to two generic destinations. What are those? You're going you're gonna to laugh. You're going to say, really, Pastor? But yeah, general. God can send your door to a familiar place or an unfamiliar place. You can't get any more general than that. God can send you to a place that you know. Or God can send you to a place that you don't know. Regardless of the place that he sends you, though, rejecting the invitation to enter into a commission with him to go to said place is a problem. It is a problem because there is the deliverance of others that's hinging on your door being in place. Of these two places, we're going to spend our time today talking about the first one on the list. It's only a list of two. But we're going to spend our time talking about familiar place. And to talk about the familiar place, we return to our good friend, Mr. Moses, in the book of Exodus. When God gives Moses this bright idea in God's mind that, hey, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, Moses is not feeling it at all. He is rejecting 
the invitation with all his might. As a matter of fact, through chapter 3 and 4, he layers in a whole bunch of reasons why, God, you really should let a brother off the hook with this one. Let's, let's, let's puddle jump those and just look at them in high level. Here we go. Also in the voice Bible, Exodus 3 and Exodus 4 have these excerpts in them. Notice. Oh, that's okay. I can read it. Oh, look at God. Say, look at me there. Here we go. In Exodus 3 and 11, 4 and 1, 4 and 10, and 4 and 13, Moses is giving God a response in response to what God keeps telling him about what God wants him to do. Just looking at the high points here, one excuse Moses gives is, who am I? Who am I that you're going to pick to go and do this thing? Who am I? I? I think you got the wrong dude. And another one, in the beginning of chapter 4, he says, what if them people don't trust me? What if them people don't listen to me? God, you know goodness well. I'm telling the truth. Verse 10 in chapter 4. Plus, I'm not a talented speaker. I stutter and stammer. I get my words all twisted. God, you know I don't talk good. Now, all of those other excuses, I call them minor hints to really what he want to tell God. But in 4.13, he finally tell God what he want to tell God. The essence of chapter 4, verse 13, is this. Read just the yellow with me. Ready, go. Lord, send someone else. And, and, and I like the voice because it puts it back. Anyone else. He leave that thing open. God, in case you misunderstand me, you can send her, you can send him, you can send people over there. Send anybody but me. Moses tries his best to get out of this thing. And in trying his best, I'm going to tell you, I believe all of this was just fluff. Just smoke and mirrors for the real reason that he didn't want to go back to Egypt. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 2, that decades earlier, when Moses was in Egypt, he murdered a man, an Egyptian. Here's that verse in Exodus 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12 in the voice. Years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to observe his people, the Hebrews. And he witnessed the heavy burden of labor forced upon them. He also witnessed an Egyptian beating one of his Hebrew brothers. He looked around to see if anybody was watching, but there was no one in sight. So he put the whoop on him. So he beat the Egyptian just as the Egyptian had beat, beaten the Hebrew. Moses ended up killing the Egyptian and hid the dead body in the sand. He hit the dead body in the sand. He thought nobody saw him, but later on you learn shortly thereafter that somebody did see him. So in the back of his mind, what Moses is saying, my, my conjecture, what Moses is thinking is, I have a vision of what's going to happen to me when I stroll back up in Egypt with a murder charge hanging over my head. He doesn't want to go to Egypt out of fear. 
but let me say that differently in a manner that ropes us all in. Said differently, Moses, his main driver that's causing him to reject God's assignment is the fear of going back to where he came from. He don't want to go back to where he came from. He's got some unpleasant memories of where he came from. You know, back where he came from, he's not proud of the person he was when he lived where he came from. He's not proud of the things that he said when he lived where he came from. He's not proud of the things that he did when he lived where he came from. He's not proud of the decisions that he made when he lived where he came from. He's not proud of the people that he hurt when he lived where he came from. There is a lot about where he came from that he would much rather forget. He doesn't want to go back there. As a matter of fact, when he left where he came from, he said to himself, I'm never going to set foot in this place again. Moses has a big hesitation with going back to the place that he came from. But family, God's got a plan. God's got a plan that involves sending Moses, his door, back to the place where Moses came from. Mm -hmm. But that just happens to be the very place that Moses wants to avoid. Amen. So Moses resists as he wrestles with a dilemma. Notice his dilemma. His dilemma is, does Moses obey God in spite of his fear and rescue people? Or does Moses disobey God because of his fear and allow people to perish? What, what, is, he to what is he to decide? He's wrestling with this thing. I mean, does he obey God in spite of his fear and allow God to position his door in a familiar place to reach familiar people? Or does he disobey God because of his fear and let those familiar people in that familiar place perish? What does he do? Does he go back to the place that he knows and go back to the people that he knows to help deliver them? Does he allow God to use his door in that fashion? Or does he look at the fear that he just doesn't want to go back to that place anymore and make the determination that God sends somebody else, anybody else? But my door is a no-go. What does he decide? He's got a fear of going back to where he came from. And he is trying his best to choose the latter option. He's trying his best to choose the option that says, I'd rather succumb to my fear then obey God and help rescue the people who are there in that familiar place where I come from. Oh, Moses is concerned. He is very concerned. And you know what? His concern is something that if we can, if we could get in his, his psyche, 
We can only imagine. But I imagine that part of his concern is that if he gets back into that old environment, that the people who are familiar with him in that familiar place will see him as the same man that left. Oh, he has a concern. He has a concern of how that old environment, if he goes back, will affect whatever it is that's going on with him that's causing that fear to generate. He has a concern with going back, but guess what? God don't have that concern. Answer me this. Just shout it out if you, if you have an idea. Why is God not concerned about sending Moses back to Egypt? Anybody? God, God's with them. We read that in verse 12 in chapter 3. God's with them. Somebody said God's got his plan. What else? God called them to. He was chosen. Hands, you are the chosen one. All correct. I'm going to step out on the edge, though, and I'm going to tell you that although those are true and those are big, big reasons, I'm going to consider that not a, not a, not a secondary, but I'm going to put another reason, if not above that, equal to that. Okay. How's that? God is not concerned about sending Moses back to Egypt because God is not sending Moses to Egypt. Huh. You see, the Moses that God is thinking about sending back to Egypt is different from the Moses that Moses is thinking about. When Moses left Egypt, he left as Moses. But when God is sending him back where he came from, God is sending him back as his door. God is sending him back as someone who's had an experience with God. Someone who has been chosen. Someone who has, has had his mind washed, corrected. Someone who's been changed from the inside out. Someone who's had a life-altering, life-changing experience with Elohim. A good experience. When he goes back to where he came from, he's not stepping in that land as the Moses that left. He's stepping in that land as God's door of deliverance. And as God's door of deliverance, as someone who's spent time with God, as someone who's been groomed by God, as someone who's been chosen by God, he steps in that land where he came from wiser, more mature. He steps in that land different. He steps in that land, guess what he is? He is someone who walks different, someone who talks different. Someone who thinks different. Someone who walks in God's favor. Someone surrounded by his mercy. Someone dripped in his goodness. Someone wrestled down by his grace. He steps in that land where he came from different. He is someone that displays God's power. He represents God's peace. He is different than what he was when he left. So God is not concerned. Because the Moses that God is sending back to where he came from is different than the Moses that came out of the place where Moses came from. God is not concerned because God is sending his door, not just a man. 
God is sending his door. Not just a person. And as soon as Moses recognizes that, Moses will take his fear, put it to the side, yes, and get his door in position for the commission. You see, he's different than the Moses that left. That is why God is not concerned. That brings us to you and I, you and me. For some of us, say some. some. For some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, God wants to do the same thing with our doors. God wants to send us back to the place that we come from. God wants to send us back to that familiar place to help deliver familiar people. But we have a fear of going back to where we came from. Presented with that option, we too face a dilemma. What is it? It's the same one. Notice, if you are asked by God to be his door of deliverance for the place that you came from, what would you say? What would be your response? Would you obey God in spite of your fear and rescue those familiar people in that familiar place? Or would you disobey God because of your fear and allow those people to perish? What would you do? Because if you genuinely have a fear of setting foot back into the place that you come from and being in proximity of the people who you knew when you were where you come from. If you really have that fear, that fear to you is very, very real. Yes. It's real because somewhere inside of you are some very unpleasant memories of where you come from. Guess what? You're not proud of the person you were when you lived where you come from. You're not proud of the things that you said when you lived where you come from. You're not a proud of the things that you did when you lived where you come from. You're not proud of the decisions that you made when you lived where you come from. You're not proud of the people that you hurt when you lived where you come from. Oh, oh, let's, let's, let's make it a little tighter. You still harbor hatred uh -oh. for the people that hurt you where you come from. Huh. You still harbor hate for the people that lied to you when you lived where you come from. You still harbor hate for the people who abandoned you when you lived where you come from. You still harbor hate for the people who failed your trust when you lived where you come from. You still harbor hate for the people who did not support your dreams when you lived where you come from. You still harbor hate for the people that fractured your faith when you lived where you come from. You still harbor hate for the people who stole your innocence when you lived where you come from. Truth be told, when you look at where you come from, 
You don't want to go back there. You don't even want to think about going back there. You'd rather forget where you come from than to even allow God to even hint at you that you should be a door of deliverance to those familiar people where you come from. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they affected me. How dare you ask me to go back and be a door of deliverance for those people where I come from? What will you decide? What position will you take? Once again, this mission is a God-given mission. It's not for everybody. You can't assign yourself and go without God and think you're going to get God results because that old environment will eat your lunch. Take you in as a three-piece and leave the bones on the curb. Biscuits sopped up and everything. Gravy just, just good to you. Because for many, for many, and you know this, if you've ever been from an area or a neighborhood that knows how to choose people up and spit them out, you know what I'm talking about. It's one thing to stand in your church with your Bible in your hand and say you have the power of God working on your behalf, then when you get with Jethro and them and they start doing the thing that you used to do with them and then you see whether or not God with you or not. If you go in to any mission without God, thinking it's a joke, the devil will make you a joke. What, what, if asked, if, if, if asked, what about you? What about you? In your mind, you're going to be wrestled with, wrestling with all the reasons why you don't, you never, you said to yourself, I'm never going to set foot on this ground ever again. But if asked, if given the commission, what will you do? The same as Moses, though. If asked, know that God is only asking you because he realizes the person who left where you came from is not the same person that he's sending back to where you came from. You left the place that you came from as you, but you're going back to the place that you came from as a door of God. You're going back wiser. You're going back more mature. You're going back surrounded in his power, surrounded in his peace. You're going back full of his mercy, full of his grace, surrounded by his goodness, favor surrounding you like a shield. You're going back with his provision. You're going back in his power. You're going back in his, you're going back as his glow in a dark place. As soon as you realize what you've been called to do and who you are in being called to do what God has called you to do, 
you will get a peace. You will put your fear to the side. And you will get your door in position for the commission. When God asks you, when he asks, when he asks you to position your door in a familiar place, know that on the other side of your obedience is deliverance for others. And in many, 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 most cases, you're going back to a familiar place to deliver familiar people. There's a caveat, though. And I don't want you to, I don't want to end without giving it to you. I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to have us say some things together. But here is the essence of our caveat. When God asks you to go back to where you came from, observe that God sent Moses back to where he came from for a mission. He didn't send him to stay. He didn't send him to stay. He sent him there for a purpose. I want you to observe that God sends Moses back on a mission, but not to stay. His task is to accomplish God's plan and get out. Amen. His job is not to set up camp. Okay. I want you to say this with me. Say the point here, the point here. is... If God presents me, God presents me with, an with an assignment to position my door, position my door in, a in a familiar place, I will be sure, will be sure to, continue to continue listening for all instructions, for all instructions. As, he as he may give me both a destination, both a destination and a timetable. Here's the next one, a continuation. Let's go. Furthermore, Furthermore Moses' assignment, assignment is to present, is to present freedom, to the freedom to the people, not to force them, not to, force them to, leave. to leave. A person's refusal, a person's refusal to, walk to walk through the door of deliverance, of deliverance that, I that I present is not a failure of my assignment. My part is to get in position and operate according to God's instructions. Their part is to accept and enter in through the door. Yeah. When God sends you back to where you come from, to be that door of deliverance, don't get it confused that God wants to send you back there to stay. Your job may be to parachute in, take care of business, and get your tail up out of there. Because God knows he's sending you in to inject life and if you stay there, it will extract life out of you. Say that. Yes, sir. So you go, be the dough, and you bounce. You go, be the door, and you slide. You go, be the door, and you move. And when you are doing whatever God called you to do, and you're looking people in the eye, 
you got to realize something. First part, for you. When God is sending you back and you might not want to go, you got to realize that God is sending you back because back there where you come from, there's a mama that needs to be set free, delivered. There's a mama that needs to, 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 to understand that God loves her and God cares. But my mama lied to me, but she needs to be set free. There's a daddy that needs to be set free. But he abandoned me. He abandoned us. He was never there for us. Yeah, but you know what? Your job is to go and be the door of deliverance because you understand that the purpose behind being there in that familiar place and from that familiar person is to get them rescued out of the bondage that they're in. Where you came from. There's a son that needs to be delivered. There's a daughter that needs to be delivered. There's an auntie and an uncle that needs to be set free. I know that they hurt you. I know they lied to you. I know they abandoned you. I know they failed you. I know they didn't support your dream. I know they damaged your trust. They fractured your faith. That your faith. They, they, they stripped you of your innocence. But there is a deliverance that God has for them. And the door of deliverance got your face on it. And if you don't make it there, they're not going to be set free they're going to perish back where you come from there's a classmate that needs to be set free there's a little league coach that needs to be set free the woman that used to work the lunchroom she needs to be set free somebody in your old stomping grounds needs to be set free but if you make the decision that you want them to perish out of fear they may miss the opportunity to be free so when God sends you in, you need to get the instructions. God, what am I going to do? What's my destination? And how long am I going to be there? Because when you get there, you're, you're, every one of those people, when you see them, you're the door. Boom. When you see them, you're the door. Boom. When you see them, you're the door. Boom. Your job is not to force them through the door. And just because you do your part perfectly and they do not elect to walk through the door, that does not make you a failure at your assignment. Amen. Your part is to be the door. Their part is to walk to God through that door. Familiar places. It's not a commission for everyone, but it is an assignment for some of us. And if you get to the point to where you feel that fear rising up, take a step back and realize. God is not sending you back to where you came from. When he looks at you and he sees this door, he sees someone who's been transformed in a manner that when they get back to where they come from, they will be an influence on where they come from, not the other way around. God can send you to one or two destinations, familiar places and unfamiliar places. Amen. We've dedicated this session to talk about familiar places. And next time we're together, we're going to talk about the unfamiliar. What, what if I were to give you a, something basic to hold on to from here. I want you to hold on to all of it. But if I were to give you one thing to hold on to, it's this. 
the more time you spend with God, know that he's changing you from the inside out. And whatever imagery, excuse me, whatever negative imagery you have of yourself, if you have any at all, based on where you came from, know that God is able and willing to create in you a new person that shines through you. So if he calls you to go back to that familiar place, take courage. Have confidence that you're able to do exactly what God wants you to do. That's our talk on familiar, face, familiar places. I love y'all so much. Let's pray. God, I thank you for being who you are in our life. We know that you are always there and that you're always with us. Now, God, give us the confidence in who you have called us to be. God, we want to believe in our innermost being that we are fully able to fulfill the commission that you give us. If we are chosen to go to that familiar place, we want to take courage in knowing that we are equipped. I apologize, family. Open your eyes. Something just hit my spirit. When we're talking about familiar places, I've purposefully given you an image of going back to where you came from. But realize the generic term familiar place can be your address. God says, we don't want to leave this place thinking you got to go back to Indiana to be a door in a familiar place. Some of us are the door of God at our own dinner table. Some of us are the door of deliverance that God has created us to be while we shuttle our family around in a minivan. Amen. Amen. Some of us are the door of deliverance when we're hosting Thanksgiving dinner. Familiar places if we can generalize it even more, it's just that, a familiar place. A place where you know the people and the people know you. They know your background. They know what you've been through. They know how they used to talk to you. So wherever your familiar places. When I say if asked, that is if asked by God to go back to your familiar place. But all of us are asked by God to be a door in the familiar place that we're in. God, we continue our prayer this way. In whatever familiar place we find ourselves, 
allow us or give us the resolve. Mm, that's the word. Give us the resolve to allow you to work through us to deliver those who are before us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.